Kinney. This is According to Callus. Today's episode is 259, airing on September the 12th. I'm going to entitle it, Have We Forgotten? 912. Okay, so let me just say, uh, I was a little melancholy yesterday. I, I feel like I cover the same territory every 9-11. Every, every time we come to an anniversary, this time it's 21 years. But this is the day after. And some of you may remember back 21 years ago, uh, a radio host got inspired by what happened on 9-12. Now, I don't think we saw the true fruition of that for several years, but he was inspired by the events of 9-12. That was people put aside political boundaries. They put aside, uh, let's call it parochial boundaries, right? You know, Catholic, Protestant, um, whatever. That's all got put aside. We have a large task in front of us. We need to agree that we're working together to put this to an end. And we, the people, we came together and we did the work and we, we uh, put aside what some would call petty differences. I don't think that all those differences are petty, but they focused on the greater good or the more important task at hand or the overarching theme of the day was this has to be dealt with before we can go forward. And I concur. Those things do still need to be dealt with. But in the 21 years that have gone by, we essentially wasted 20 years in Afghanistan. We have nothing to show for it. We have a lot of dead bodies, a lot of maimed soldiers, a lot of broken families, a lot of wasted money, and quite frankly, a whole lot of arms that we left for the uh, Taliban or what other successive or successor uh, leadership was in that area where we left those things. Now, it'd be very tempting to leave that all on the shoulders of Brandon, (laughs) I was trying to think of what I want to refer to him as the resident in chief. He was the caretaker. He, he saw the bungled retreat. Now I am just barely old enough to remember the last time that we left a country that in my opinion, we really had no business going into in the first place. But we were there for a long time and after soon, well, I won't say within a few years of leaving, everything that we sought to accomplish had been undone. Everything that we said we were there for had ended. Although in that previous time frame, which would be uh, 1972 to 1975, there really wasn't any coming together. There wasn't any national fervor that we can do better. And I am familiar with the pitfalls of using that phrase, we can do better. But the idea is that in, not, in the aftermath of 9-11, 9-12 going forward, 
we put aside those things to take care of our fellow man, to take care of those needs. And the the talk show host, when he was so inspired and, you know, reverberated, if you will, off of that vibe, he he, um, built upon that and he he launched some groups called 912 groups. And a lot of those actually morphed into becoming the Tea Party. Whereupon, we're going to put aside a lot of these issues and we're going to just focus on five things we're going to we're going to come up with these five principles that we want to see played out now those tea party groups um some were co-opted by establishment republicans some fizzled out some were wildly successful some are still around in one shape or form and still trying to do the good work now sadly the primary purpose right we're going to focus on these five issues we're going to we're going to focus on the things that we pretty much all agree upon got sidelined indeed after uh, a few years and it became more important to support our troops it may maybe became more important to back the blue uh, to i don't know make heroes out of teachers to revere first responders which i've often referred to more accurately as the second responders. And I don't begrudge any of that on the face of it. But that's also called mission creep. And and that's exactly what we saw play out both in Iran. <laughs> Talk about a Freudian slip there. Iraq and Afghanistan. We use those two invasions to pin down Iran. We use those as a launch board to get involved in Syria, to support Israel, to foment insurrection and new governments as part of the Arab Spring. And how did that work out for us? Well, you, you're taking a group of people that live in an insulated, isolated world uh, on the Potomac, and expecting them to be able to know what's best for another country halfway around the world that, quite frankly, in many ways, isn't ready for any form of republic, be it democracy or straight-up republic or some variation in between, they are not even removed from tribal leadership. Now, in fairness, that appears to work for them. Now, there are a lot of icky things involved with that government, the tribal leadership, that a lot of Westerners don't like. But they don't really care what we think. They don't really care about our concerns. They are going to work on and focus on what has worked for millennia for them. And it's a little bit of hubris to think that our country or the Western world can step in to a society is, let's say, traditional as most of these mountainous countries around that area are and remake it into a model of a Western society. Now, you can say, well, well, you know, they just didn't have the industrial capabilities to do that. Or, well, you know, they didn't have the infrastructure they needed. Or, well, you know, they didn't have the educational programs that they needed. Or, or you know, um, there's just religious uh, problems there. All that may be true. 
But I suggest to you, only a very small minority of those people that were in those countries were in the slightest bit interested in having a Western way of living. Most of them were quite content to go back to doing what they were doing in 20, I'm sorry, 2000, the year 2000. They were quite content. Now, were there some bad actors there? Yeah, probably. Were those bad actors there at the behest or the invitation of the ruling faction of the government? Probably. Do you think that the government really cared what they were doing as long as they got paid? Uh, Probably not. Um, Do you think that we are in any way, shape, or form better off having taken 20 years of our blood and treasure and treasure and blood and spilling it over in Afghanistan and to a lesser extent Iraq? Have we changed anything to where it was worthwhile? Now, I'm going to ask you all to divorce yourself from the idea that this is a criticize, oh well, this is criticism of the individual soldiers, Marines, airmen, and sailors. Not at all. Most of them went there buying the same propaganda that, quite frankly, I did for about 10 years. You know, we're going there to remake their world, to give them a better world, to bring the Western democracy to them, and we're going to improve their standard of living and give them a better chance in modern society. And, to be true, on the micro level, a lot of good things were done for individuals. A lot of good things were even done for small communities. And, quite frankly, a lot of these sailors, soldiers, marines, airmen saw this. They were involved in this and they believed that what they were doing was a good thing. And some of them even bought into the um, more esoteric democracy or democratization, if you will, idea. And I don't fault them for that. I mean, that's what we were brought up to believe. We were brought up to believe that we can fix everything with a little bit of science and a little bit of democracy. And as we have seen, that doesn't always turn out to be the case. In fact, we upended a number of countries with really no good effect. In fact, some of the side effects that have come about have been rather disastrous. Now, I'm going to put a little pause here and I'm going to transition to the greatest enemy in place right now, beside Putin, is Hungary being run by a Hungarian who's cares or who is more concerned about Hungary than the surrounding nations and whatever group of people that wants to try and migrate there. Likewise, the same could be said about a Polish person being in charge of a country called Poland that's more concerned about the Poles that live there than the surrounding countries or groups of migrants that are trying to come there. Now, setting aside whatever domestic policies might be in play, because unfortunately in today's day and age, there's a lot of what we would call icky things happening in the Western world's mindset when it comes to other parts of the world. And we're not super enthusiastic about one group of people mistreating another group of people because they don't look the same. They don't sound the same. They don't have the same religion. Okay, that that's not ideal. 
That That's a bad thing. However you want to phrase it. But if you're an independent country and you're concerned about your independent country, it doesn't really do you any good to invite a bunch of people in that have zero interest in being a part of your country. They're just coming there to take advantage of what your country offers. Now, I suspect that I've probably touched on this a time or two before when we've discussed what happened in Oslo, what happened in um, Denmark, what's going on in London, Stan, right now, what's going on in Paris. All these countries and big cities are under siege in one form or another by groups of people that actually are not French, that are not English or British, that are not Norwegian. And Poland and Hungary are looking at that and saying to themselves, yeah, we don't want any part of that. You guys can go ahead and keep that. Now, the real curious thing to me is how long is Germany going to continue to put up with this? I know we did a lot of pacification after World War II. In fact, we committed genocide upon the German people after World War II to ensure that the Germans never did this again. That they never stood up for their own country. That they never wanted their own empire. And quite frankly, one of our former presidents was deeply involved in that. And the mass starvation and genocide that took place really isn't any different than what perhaps Stalin did in the Ukraine. Which is what they called it when it was under the Soviet Union. Uh, Ukrainians apparently don't like being referred to as the Ukraine, but rather Ukraine. So, just so I'm clear on that, yes, I don't really see any significant difference. We had completely defeated the Nazi state, but that wasn't enough. And instead of getting a pacified Germany, we got a puppet state. And that puppet state is largely run by the Eastern European former Stasi people in a quirk of events one wonders how that was able to happen and nobody noticed it but alas at this time germany doesn't uh, when i say germany i mean the leadership or the government of germany doesn't seem awfully interested in i don't know preserving germany or protecting germans and one wonders how long those people are going to tolerate that i once saw a comic (laughs) And it's it's really sad and disturbing all at the same time, but in a black humor sort of way, it speaks to the point. It shows a man at the top of a stairwell going into the cellar, and that's the background. And in the foreground is a dusty uniform with German army accoutrements. If I remember correctly, the caption read something along the lines of how much longer before they dust those off. That should be a very scary thought. I mean, if you're French, you're Belgian. I mean, even to a lesser extent, Swiss at this point, you got to wonder, is that really what you want? Do do you really want to recreate the monster that came out of Germany? I mean, if you're Austria or Hungary or Serbia or any of those other states directly south and to the uh, southeast, actually, in particular, 
do you really want to see that happen? And I got to wonder if the polls are maybe secretly wishing that some nationalists would take charge so they have some backup. And that should be scary. That should be disturbing to you that that's what their recourse is. Because even in our own country, we're not allowed to want to be America first. We're not allowed to want to put our individual state first. We're bad people. We're nationalists. We're the downfall of society. And, you know, I referenced the predictive programming that I watched, uh, referred to as Madam Secretary, and it morphed from being nationalists to white nationalists to Christian nationalists. But basically, people that were more concerned about these United States than other countries were the problem. The solution propagated in that show and honestly being shoved down our throats right now is some kind of globalism, some kind of melded whatever. And I ask you, how does a first world country benefit by importing hmm, millions or potentially several millions of third world folks to that country. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know. They'll do the jobs that nobody else wants. They'll all congregate in one area. They'll depress that area. Uh, They will refuse to assimilate. And they will basically import everything along with them that they allegedly fled from in the third world. If you don't believe me, look at some of those cities I previously mentioned or go visit Dearborn, perhaps chunks of New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. And this is not a blanket fair statement, I understand. It is merely a confluence of things that have occurred. Indeed, our own American, for lack of a better phrase, white people have fallen down on the switch because they figured out that, well, we can get paid for not working. We can get paid to do nothing. We can, oh, I don't know, get a subsistence and live on the streets and not have to do anything, and everybody's okay with it. Now, while I don't advocate any kind of harsh punishment for that, per se, but I would suggest to you that that's part of our problem. We pay people to not work. We pay farmers to not grow. We pay companies to not develop. And we wonder, how did we get in this situation? Well, some would say it was by design. Some would say that this is what the long-term goal of our globalist masters is, is to make us all subservient, to make us all lemmings, worthless, not capable of taking care of ourselves. And that can be true. But it really doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, is, A good number of our own population have willingly walked over the edge of the cliff into the abyss. And I got to ask myself, how is this a good thing? Where are our leaders? Let's go back to the previous heroes that I mentioned. So you've got the former military now because it's been 21 years since we started operations over in Afghanistan and I guess in uh, Iraq as well. And a good number of those people have either gotten out because they were hurt or they've retired or quite frankly, they just had enough. 
Those people are now painted as the villains. Those people are now painted as potential domestic terrorists. When in fact, I would suggest to you that those are some of the best people, albeit some of them are hurt and damaged psychologically and emotionally, but they are some of the best people we have in our country and we treat them like pariahs. And when I say we, I mean our government. Our government on our behalf has done this. In fact, we coddle and protect people that could barely take care of themselves. Whereas they were just, I don't know, forced to learn how to take care of themselves, they wouldn't be in that position. If they were forced to interact with people that were living in the sandbox, perhaps they would man up or woman up or cowboy up or whatever your favorite terminology is, grow a spine. And they would adapt. And they would see. And I, and I look and I say to myself, is this not an opportunity to revisit the spirit of 912? Is this not an opportunity to say, man, you served your country overseas. And while perhaps you were lied to, perhaps you were misled, perhaps you actually did accomplish what you thought you needed to accomplish and you've come home. But the mission's not over. We have to save our own country. We have to rebuild our own country. Not build back better, which is a joke, but reformulate how we work. Reformulate how we exist. We look at these police officers and I don't know the percentages. I'm not going to pretend to know the percentages, but for the sake of this discussion... Let's say they break down in three categories. One, people that are there that don't belong there. Two, people that are there and are doing a good job in spite of the problems and the issues. And group number three, the people that left because they just couldn't deal with it anymore. And I would suggest to you that those second two groups are in a position to best advocate for fixing their departments to best advocate for recreating the idea of a peace officer. The people that are there that really don't belong there, unfortunately, in many cases have moved up the ladder and they're in positions of power and authority and influence. And they really don't care about their fellow citizens. In fact, I would suspect a good number of them don't even care about their fellow first responders, a.k.a. the second responders. They are there for their own power, for their own motivations, for their own pockets, just like any other politician. And this is where you have to put aside minor differences. This is where you have to put aside competing values and look at the greater, bigger picture. If we are truly to have a peaceful, successful society, to some degree or another, we're going to need some form of peace officer. Somebody that goes and investigates crimes after they've occurred and decides what happened and presents that to a impartial authority to work out justice. Now, I would suggest to you that when we spend the majority of our time looking to bust people for, I don't know, what some people call victimist crimes, what I would say foolish decisions, uh, when we beat up people because, well, they were driving eight miles over the speed limit, 
or they didn't come to a full and complete stop. Just so we can put a little extra cash in those coffers there, I'm going to suggest to you that that's not the priority we ought to be working off of. That's not a primary function in my mind of how, I don't know, peace officers should be functioning. Now, we're probably never going to be able to fix it 100%, but it would be really nice if those cops that got out or the paramedics or the EMTs or firefighters that got out because they just didn't want to deal with the garbage anymore, if they were to speak out, if they were to, I don't know, take knowledge in the fact that they've got a retirement or a new career and say, advocate for their brethren that are still there doing the best that they can. I would like to see more of that. I would like to see that from the former military while we're at it. But that's the greater good. That's that's putting aside your own personal desires to give us a better end result. These same folks are in a position to where they can be helping and improving an entire generation of people that have basically learned we don't have to work and we still get paid. We don't have to learn how to do anything because somebody will do it for us. They could fix that if they would only take the effort to do it. If they would be rewarded, perhaps, for doing it. And this is how would we go about doing this? It needs to be sorted out at the local level, in your local community, perhaps in your church, perhaps in part of one of the various uh, clubs, Lions Clubs, Elks Club, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, perhaps even, God forbid, they would get involved in this. Or, Or the Knights of Columbus, they're still out there somewhere, right? I think the International Order of Foresters might even still be wrong. These are all organizations that could be deeply involved in what's going on. Perhaps a VFW. These are opportunities. I mean, they've destroyed the Boy Scouts and turned it into Scouts, which is largely meaningless now. But we could reform something else. We could put in a parallel program to train up young men to actually be young men. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing things for the young ladies, but as a man, do you really want me hanging out with a bunch of young ladies any more than you want me hanging out with a bunch of young boys? In today's day and age, that sends up some red flags, even when somebody as innocent to that crazy as I might be doesn't mean that you want somebody that's not related to you, that you can't vouch for doing these things. No, that's where the community comes in. You have to know these people. I mean, even in the churches, we don't always catch the slime balls that get in there. There's an old statement that where does the criminal go where the victims are? So that's that's something we need to be very much aware of. You have to know who's around your young people. You have to remember what who's teaching your young people, which then goes back to the school districts and the school systems, right? We haven't done a good job there. We've abdicated our responsibilities. Now I look and I see the enormous sums of money that we have been dumping into a failed or semi-failed state of Ukraine at this point. in the hopes that we would damage the Russian bear. But when I see it, I see a border dispute by two formerly conjoined brothers in the world. 
and they're not happy about how that split occurred, and they're renegotiating it. That is a nice euphemism, isn't it? Renegotiation, a border war. Um, but that's not the business of the United States, and I would really hesitate to say it's even the business of NATO, yet here we are. And as a result, half of Europe is likely to freeze this winter. You've got to ask yourself, was it worth it? We have dumped trillions and billions of dollars into these countries for what? I mean, Detroit's a mess. Mississippi doesn't have water. We don't have a border wall. California can't keep the lights on. You know, these are all nice talking points, but the reality is we have not invested in our own country. We have not invested in the things that we ought to have been putting first, which was America. America's needs. These United States all have individual needs that have been put aside to focus on some kind of external calamity. And when things are going well, we can do that. When things are going well and we have a surplus, that is a good Christian thing to do. But when we can't even take care of ourselves, when we look overlook our own families to stick our nose in other people's business, we are not doing the right thing, in my opinion. We are not looking out for our number one priority. And as I wrap this up, let me be the first to say, as a veteran, a non-combat veteran, but as a veteran, I want to be clear, none of what I said today should be construed or thought as an attack on my former brethren, or I guess, con- <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it, my brethren still that were wore a uniform, whether it's Marines, Navy, Air Force, Army, or even Coast Guard. We all had a duty. We all did what we thought we needed to be doing. We all took an oath to protect and defend constitution from all enemies foreign and domestic and there's no expiration date on that oath and a good number of you guys went over there and you saw combat and you did far more than I ever did so I would not feel comfortable that you all thought I was dismissing or degrading the work that you did that's not my intention I don't believe I implied that You can go do the most honorable thing you know to do, but if somebody put you there and lied to you to get you there, or you believe the propaganda you were fed, that does not mean you're wrong. That does not mean you're liable for what you did, especially when you believed you were doing the right thing. That is a common thing with all militaries. Ours is not to ask and wonder why. Ours is just to do or die. Now, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because, as I said, I was peacetime Navy. But that was something that I heard from time to time, whether it was from Marines or from you know guys on my ship that actually served during the first Gulf War. They went to bed at night sometimes wondering if they were going to get up due to a gas attack or something else. And that still strikes me in the center of the heart to know that we did what we thought was best. We did what we were told was the right thing to do. And now with 20 years worth of hindsight, I feel pretty comfortable saying that they lied to us. 
They, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. That they had no intentions of ever fixing anything. Oh, I know there's plenty of little do-gooders along the way that stepped in and thought they were doing the right things and on the civilian side. Absolutely. But I believe they were equally misled. I think the people that are, who are running this operation, uh, a good number of them knew absolutely what they were doing. They were bleeding us out. So that does not reflect. Certainly on any enlisted person. And quite frankly, probably 04 and below. They honestly believe we were doing the right thing. I, I can't fault a man or a woman for doing what they believe is the right thing. Nor should you. But I will just say you, the mission's not over. The greater cause is right in front of us. My concern is we have forgotten. It got memory hold. All the problems, all the issues that we have right now today could have and should have been dealt with. But we were busy dealing with other things that were a convenient distraction for those that are in power and wish to stay there. There's a whole lot more that would go along with this. But that would push this show way, way too long. So let me just say this will probably be a reoccurring theme that I touch on for the next couple of weeks. 9-11's always made me a little melancholy. Makes me a little more patriotic than sometimes I'm comfortable with. But at the end of the day, I put Texas before the other states. And I put these United States of America before any other country. And I always will. And that is this episode of According to Callus. This was episode 259. Have we forgotten? And until then, I will see you on the other side.